If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy. 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Welcome back to Hot Takes and Deep Dives. And I am here with true TV and film royalty. She burst onto the queer indie movie scene in the early 90s with Go Fish, went on to write American Psycho, a film we have talked extensively about on this show. Chasing Amy is kind of based on her. We're going to go deep on the real story there. Not only did she title the show The L Word, but she was a writer on the early seasons and played the first hot villain on the show, Gabby DeVoe. She has more stories. Well, I hope that we can fit all of her stories into this episode. Hi, Guinevere Turner. Hello. It's nice to be here feeling feeling like an, you know, a lesbian elder. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. No, you just told me that last night you took your girlfriend to the cubby hole because she had never been to a lesbian bar. Or she, wait, what did you say? She'd never been to a lesbian bar in New York or she had never been to one? She had only here. been to two in her life and, and one was in uh, Beirut and one was in Philadelphia. Uh, and so she'd never been to a lesbian bar in New York. How long has she lived here? For, in New York for three years. Um, she was in grad school, and then there was COVID. Yeah, and but I had no—I hadn't been to the cubby hole in forever, so how, I, okay, so I didn't how, know what how to expect. Was it? This is very local news, but how was it <laughs> last night? It was a Wednesday night, and it was you know pumping. It was it was crowded. Everybody was laughing, talking, outside smoking. You know, it was a uh, it was uh, really fun, and you know we were sort of she was sort of looking around like. Oh, it's those are like the athleisure lesbians, and those are like the you know. She was just trying to like you know, you know, find categories, and um, and I was like, am I the oldest person here? And I looked around, and I was like, no, there's a couple of women my age. And then uh, later on, I was like, now I can just look up and I know exactly who's my age because they're the only people who recognize me. That's funny. <laughs> Did anybody recognize you last night? Uh, yeah, actually, um, a few people, I could, you know, you can just tell when people recognize you because they are just looking at you, mm-hmm. not in a like, hey, baby way, but in a like, oh, my God, is that like that chick from that thing? 
But no, a one woman, um, she bumped in, literally bumped into me and I was like, oh, excuse me. And she was like, excuse me. I'm not going to pretend I don't know who you are. And I uh, was like, oh, I, I generally thought we were bumping into each other. But and she was a bartender at Meow Mix, which was like the big 90s Les Bar. We're going deep on Meow Mix <laughs> as part of it. And so she's like, I was a bartender at Meow Mix, you know, and then we just you know started talking about the, the good old glory days of Meow Mix. Uh, you know, the owner of Meow Mix uh, still is a good friend of mine. So uh, I was like, so, wow, so you've seen me quite sauced I mean I used to just have a martini glass with my name etched on it basically and she was like a lady never tells <laughs> now I listed all these things that you've been part of is there anything that you genuinely love to talk about like if, if we're like if we're gonna like kind of create a roadmap here I don't know that I want to go necessarily chronologically if you want to like drop a pin somewhere <laughs> in your life story tell me what you want to start with and then we can branch out from there Randomly, this is just what popped into my head. There's just a really funny story that sort of is in and around the 90s uh, in New York uh, when I was in my 20s living here. Is this Taxi um, Cab Confessions? Yes. Okay, all right, all right. I love it, guys. We're starting with Taxi Cab, taxi cab Confessions, which I didn't even say in the intro. All right, I'll let you... I mean, yeah, so basically, like, you were a filmmaker. Well, ah, gosh, how do we even start this? You, to sort of preface this taxi cab confession. It was the summer of 1994. Okay, I'll let you go ahead. <laughs> you go ahead. It's, like, it's just, it's kind of my best story. Like, and I have a lot of stories, but it's just a good one if, if people don't know it. And uh, it's hilarious. It was not so funny to me at the time. It was the summer of 1994. And speaking of lesbian bars, um, I was at Henrietta Hudson's. And um, my film Go Fish was in theaters at the time. So was it playing at the Angelica? It was playing at the Angelica, which was just thrilling, like thrilling. Because like you had gone to college and you went to Sarah Lawrence. I did. And where did you actually like grow? Like, where did you go to like elementary school, high school? There's a um, essay I wrote in The New Yorker uh, in 2019 that is uh, the first line of it is, where are you from? And it is about the fact that I grew up in a very unconventional uh, what I would later to be called, I uh, hear people call it a cult. And uh, so I grew up on compounds around the country, um, homeschooled. So I didn't go to elementary Your school. Your parents were like super hippie? Mm, it was just my mom. And they were something. They were something countercultural. Like, you know, these people that I grew up with were not, they, they were disdainful of hippies, as many people were in the 70s. Uh, but that's what my book's about. And we'll get there. You wound up going to Sarah Lawrence. I did. Is that when you realized you were gay or before? Uh, well, you know, I think for a lot of us, even though I, like, I officially realized it and, you know, had my first girlfriend when I was 18, like once I was like, oh, I mean, I was so, I was like, oh, I'm gay. That's so weird. I'm like, I'm gay. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then, you know, you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, that was actually a crush. That wasn't a best friend. And that, like, when I joined the track team, I'm not even athletic. I just knew where the lesbians were instinctively. Um, <laughs> you landed Sarah Lawrence. You wind up meeting a very pivotal person in your life, Rose Trochet. So now you have this movie in the theater, which we're going to tell the whole story of Goatfish. Okay, let's get into that. Yes, and it was a huge, huge deal for us because we thought we were making, like, a film that would maybe go to a couple festivals and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden we're like traveling the world. And, you know, it came out in 1994 was the 25th anniversary of Stonewall. So it was just like, it was just the queerest, happiest summer ever uh, in New York. And um, so I'm in Henrietta Hudson's and I, you know, I'm like signing posters and like, you know, talking to people and like just being all that. And I just had some very, I was like 25, I think 26. I was like, 
Oh, gosh, I used to... This is, this is me in my dramatic 20s behind many scotches. I used to be just like a cute girl in a bar. And now everybody just wants me because they've seen me in a movie. Like, just whatever. Get over yourself, girl. But so I went... I, so I decided I was leaving. Uh, and anyone who lives in New York knows that there's never a cab waiting. This is, you know, pre-rideshare. There's never a cab waiting outside um, the bar or anywhere. And, and it was, you know, two o'clock in the morning on a Friday night. And there's hardly ever a woman cab driver. But mm, uh, me not understanding that maybe that was, should have already been a red flag, that something was up, just get in the, get in the cab. And so I, the, the woman's, like, asking me a lot of questions. And I'm like, is she flirting with me? And then I, so I ask her questions back and she's like, I'm married, I live in New Jersey. And I was like, this is how my scotch infused brain put the pieces together. This woman is married in in New Jersey, but she parks outside the lesbian bar on a Friday night because she wants to hook up. And now she's asking me all these questions. So I was like, okay. And so I start flirting with her. And then I start really trying to get her to come home with me. And she doesn't. And I go home, I wake up in the morning and I think to my, and I go to brunch with my friends and I'm like, oh man, I tried to get a cab driver to come home with me last night. I'm so glad she didn't say yes. Like that would have been such a hot mess. I'm really, really, I dodged a bullet and so did she. Six months later, it's on TV. And I had no recollection of the fact that apparently um, at some point in the evening, uh, she pulled over, the producers who were following her in a van pulled over and um, I signed a release, you know, kind of questionably ethical, obviously, because if I was so drunk, I didn't remember signing the release that I probably wasn't legally, you know, um, able to. However, you have no memory of signing the release. No. So you were blackout. Yeah. Wow. And um, we just, you know, that should be illegal if it's not. Um, but Cookie De Jesus, the driver, went on Conan O'Brien uh, <laughs> and he asked about me, he's like, well, you. Because this was like the first season of Taxi Cab it was, Yeah, it was like the third episode. No, it was the first episode. It was the first episode of the first season. How did you find out that this was on TV? I doubt you were watch, sitting around watching Taxi Cab Confessions. I was not. I didn't even know it existed. I was standing in a bar chatting with someone. My friend Brooke Webster, actually, the one who owns Meow Mix, owned Meow Mix, came in and she was like, she just looked like someone died. And I was like, what is going on? And she's like, you know that story you told us about the cab driver? And I was like, yeah, like, what's, like, is she here? Like, is her girlfriend here? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what's the drama? And she was like, oh, no, it's on TV. And I was just like, does not compute, what? Like, imagine, like, your stupidest, drunkest, messiest night, and then imagine finding out six months later that it's on TV. So I just like crumbled to the ground, basically. Anyway, so Cookie went on uh, Conan, and she one of the things she said when he asked about me was that when I was signing the release, I just looked over at her and said, I guess this means you're not coming home with me. That's hilarious. <laughs> so part of my brain was working. So I imagine it must be difficult for you to even watch reality TV, because this was like, this is when reality TV was actual reality. This yeah. is um, surveillance footage, yeah, to be honest. The, yeah, it's the hidden cameras that, you know. If this story happened to me, I would never be able to entertain watching reality TV. Like, I wonder what, it, like, what is it for you? Um, reality TV makes me anxious anyway. It makes me anxious because I have so many friends who've worked in it and I know, like, how manipulated, how, like, how they're, they're, like, a lot of it is people preying on people's desire to be famous and they'll do anything and I find that really painful. 
what, what was crazy about it was that I was recognized in the streets for this taxi cab confessions thing nonstop. That was 20 minutes of my life. I was also in theaters in a movie called Go Fish. That was four years of my life making a movie. And instead, I'm like out here showing the world that, yes, homosexuals are drunken predators. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I got so many hilarious phone calls. Like people would call me and be like, I knew that was actors. I, th- I was watching the show and I was like, this can't be real. And then I saw you and I was like, oh, it's actors. I was like, uh-huh. My dad saw it. And then like people would like literally in the streets would go, hey, she wanted to go home with you. She was going to go home with you. Like just, I was just like, oh my God. This is still on YouTube. This is still in like the HBO annals of YouTube. gets rid of it every few months, but I can always tell when it's when it's popped back up again, like a whack a mole because somebody, somebody gets in touch with me and, and laughs about it. I mean, I laugh about it now. I was really weird. I was kind of freaked out. Like, what if what I'm doing right now was being recorded? What if what I, you know what I mean? It took me, I've been like the advocate, you know, the, the uh, LGBT magazine contacted me and they were like, it's so great to see such sex positivity on TV, like, you know, queer, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, we're, that's a, well, that's a spin. Yeah, that is a, that is a spin. <laughs> yeah, you were on the cover of the advocate with Anthony Rapp. I was. Yeah. And his dad and my mom. Y- yes. <laughs> oh, wait, let's talk about your your relationship, your friendship, and your working relationship with Rose Trochet. Would you say this is one of the most pivotal people who ever, like, walked into your life? That's funny. I was just texting with her this morning. Um, and I, she said a quote, we're having a, um, me and my girlfriend having a picnic, and I was I invited Rose and asked her to, like, yeah, I was like, we're trying to start a lesbian picnic on Sundays in Greenpoint. Like, you know, bring anyone you want. And then she just texted me, Trying to wrangle old lesbians is like trying to wrangle a herd of feral cats. Nobody wants to do anything. Um, yes, together we we created the fulcrum that radically changed our lives forever and sort of was the, the, the seed for who we have become. How did you initially meet her? I met her in ACT UP, which for those who don't know, was the AIDS activist organization. I met her in ACT UP in Chicago in 92, no, 1990. Uh, and we, so we were activists together and then we were girlfriends and then we were like, Hey, let's make a, we don't, we don't have any, we don't see any movies that just represent our lives. And so we started making Go Fish. And so she had, I think, graduated from theater school and you had graduated college, but you didn't study acting or screenwriting. Like what was your major in college? Well, at Sarah Lawrence, we don't have majors. Oh, I went, <laughs> excuse what's me. Funny is, <laughs> what's funny is actually they didn't teach screenwriting at Sarah Lawrence when I um, went there, but also I didn't even know that screenwriting was a thing when I went there because it never really occurred to me that someone wrote a movie. I mean, that's how crazy that is. Uh, I, I studied fiction writing and philosophy and 19th century literature. Uh, and Rose was, had an MFA, a fine arts MFA, but you know, had, but focused on film. So she she knew how to make a film ish, like. But she was making more experimental stuff and like video video installation stuff. And I, so when I wrote that screenplay, I'd never read a screenplay. Like literally, didn't even know what the format looked like. And then like thirty years later, I'm teaching screenwriting at Sarah Lawrence, the where a college that didn't teach it when I when I was there, and that's what I do for a living ish. Um, Your day job, yeah. <laughs> So, but you knew, can I say something about yeah. that? Because I know that you teach. And, you know, Roxanne Gay had a day job up until like a few years ago, teaching like in the Midwest. Like she taught English, she taught writing. I, love so I think a lot of very successful writers, like you would think Roxanne Gay doesn't have a day job, but like she only like stopped teaching maybe two years ago. I think for me, I mean, it's vampiric in a way. 
I like to know what people are writing about, what people are thinking about it. And generally speaking, the people I've taught are people in their 20s. And so I'm also just saying, what, you know, how are these brains formed with a landscape that's so different from mine? And what do they care about? And also, I'm just good at it. I just really, I feel like it's like the equivalent of working out, I think, for an athlete. You know, I'm like grabbing people's ideas and being like, okay, let's look at it this way, this way, this way, this way. And like, let's have, you know, like it's fun. And, and especially, I, I mostly I've taught grad school. So like everybody's at a certain level and they're committed to it. And you're not like trying to talk them into why screenwriting is fun. They're like, you know, show me how I want to make movies. I'm, I'm considering actually, I've, I've just been an adjunct faculty. I've been at Columbia and NYU, at UCLA, at Sarah Lawrence. And I'm actually thinking of like getting a legit permanent job because you know what? Stability, adulthood, health insurance. <laughs> I know you had to move our, we had another date set for this recording and you had to move it because you had an audition. And I texted a friend of mine, who, a very good friend of mine, uh, Damien Bellino, when you had moved it, because I, I was so excited to meet with you. I'm like, she had to move it. I'm like, she had an audition. I was like, I can't believe she's still auditioning. I know. So, like, what was that audition for? That was for a friend's... I mean, it's just a short film. I bring th- I bring this up only because you're talking about stability. And I was like, is she literally just, like, out there? I'm like, that can't be her life. No, I don't audition a lot. Mostly the, the films I've been in, in in the last few years are people have just asked me. Flashing back, what year did you and Rose get the idea, let's just go ahead and try to make a movie? Uh, 92, early 92. Was there any representation at that time? At that time, there was literally Desert Hearts, which had come out in the late 80s, I think. And, you know, there's like the Australian film, I, I Heard the Mermaid Singing. There's the like crazy ass experimental cool film called Born in Flames. Like there are movies here and there, that, um, mostly super indie and, and few, a personal best Mm-hmm. If no one's seen that movie, I highly recommend for just like, what? I mean, there's, there's a lot of painful, there was a lot of painful stuff out there. And almost all of it was centered around women, one woman on her journey, uh, struggle, you know, am I gay? Am I not gay? You know, should I kill myself? You know, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, so not a lot. And, you know, Ellen hadn't come out yet, obviously. Ellen didn't come out till like 95 or six, I think. Mm-hmm. So there was just nothing. It was Katie Lang. Who you would later date. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that. Too. <laughs> so the two of you are like, let's just like play around and try to make a movie that's representative of our social circle. The, our, our sort of mission statement was not not our, so, our social circle necessarily, but daily life of lesbians. That is like our friends, our dramas, our, you know what I mean? Like where we're all out and, and it's not a big deal. And like, I mean, we have a little conflict in the movie about someone who's, whose mom finds out that she's gay. But mostly it's just about like, what did she say? And like, oh my God, like your ex and you know, blah, 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 my job. And you know what I mean? Like, it's just, you know, like regular people in life, which is how most of us experience our queerness, right? You know, if we're lucky. So it was just that day to day slice of life. And it just sort of hit in this moment where independent film was really doing that. And, you know, like we we sort of hit on a moment in the zeitgeist of people being really open to like, oh, let's just peek into this world. I mean, that you, you know, we came out, we were at Sundance at the same year as Kevin Smith's Clerks. And Clerks is really a yin-yang movie to our movie because it's, it's, both of them are black and white and both of them are just just a really specific group of people doing their thing, talking their talk, living their lives. Miraculously, 
this film that you made for, I think the budget was like $15,000. It went on to gross $2 million. Yeah. Did you see any of that money? Hell no. Where did that money go? Well, it's a crazy thing that, you know, we, every once in a while, Rose and I get strong enough to try to detangle, like, who owns that movie now? Because uh, there was a chain of, of buyings, and, you know, at some point it was, like, at a division of Hallmark, and not, I mean, sometimes it's on IFC, the channel, but we, I mean, seriously, we can't figure out. But no, we made, like, $17,000 each over the course of four years. <laughs> I know. The, mo- the money, we, you know, it was the deal we made. Somebody, we made that movie for 15 but we needed another we shot that movie for 15. We needed another 35 to 40 to fix it in post, to fix the sound and to do all the things and to blow it up to 35. So it, it was about a $75,000, $80,000 movie. And a lot of that money was loaned to us and we had to pay it back. And we also just were like, sign where? Like, what is happening to us? You know what I mean? We were just very inexperienced and just every single thing that was happening to us was so beyond our wildest but you dreams. you didn't even know what Sundance Film Festival was. I didn't. And this is when the Sundance Film Festival was Sundance. Yeah, it was, yeah, the year before Rose had shown me, uh, there was an Entertainment Weekly and she showed me pictures of Sundance and she was like, she was like, this is where we're going to be someday, being all hopeful and manifesting before that was a thing. I was like, what is that? She's like, it's a film festival for independent film. And I was like, what's a film festival? I was so, I was just really, I just wanted to write books. I just didn't, I didn't, and even though I, we were already working on the film, I didn't, it still hadn't occurred to me, like, that's where, you're, that's the path you're going to take. Like, people are not going to ask you to write screenplays and going to ask you to be in movies. I just did not expect that at all. It sounds like she had more of a master plan for her career. Like, Definitely. It's like more intentional, whereas you were just, it sounded like a fun side, like maybe like a side project, and then you would just go back to. It was activism to me. Mm. It wasn't my career. It was activism, and it just took the, a form that really spoke to people. Uh, I still have boxes and boxes and boxes of actual fan mail from all over the world back before people were sending emails, and it was so great. Just like stationary from Tokyo with like just the sweetest words from like a 15 year old girl who saw the movie and like realized she was gay or they people took their grandma to see it and realized and like then grandma realized they were gay and it was really uh, it was, uh, you know, an amazing time. How was the reaction different between the release of Go Fish in 94? You're getting handwritten letters from Tokyo to flash forward a decade. The L word premieres. How did the reaction differ in women, the way they were seeing themselves represented? Well, one thing about it is that, you know, once the L word was there, there were chat rooms and like, you know, we were getting real time opinions about stuff, which is, that's just, uh, you know what I mean? You don't, that's, that was hard to even manage. And then, you know, people would find a way to contact me and just write hateful things to me because they didn't like what I wrote or like, like, you know, because my character on the show it was kind of a monster. Like this woman walked up to me once at an event and went, you're a real fucking bitch, aren't you? And I was like, does this woman understand what acting is? I was just like, now I am. Like, fuck off. You know, like people were hostile toward me because I played a bitchy character or people were like, you know what? I'm never telling anyone anything that happens to me because every time I do, shows up on the L word. And I'm like, honey. <laughs> you're not that important. <laughs> it's just like, you know, there only are like 12 stories. You know what I mean? Like, we're all lesbians and like, we have a lot of common experiences. And also like, do you understand the long lead? Like, if you told someone a story two days ago and you saw it on, on the L word, it, like a week later, that's not how that works. <laughs> it takes a long time. Not that long, but longer. Um, but it was just funny. I'm like, 
I'm going to take that as a compliment. Low key, I'm going to take that as a compliment. That means that like we're speaking to you and it's pissing you off. You're seeing yourself and you're like, mm, I'm special. I'm like, you are special. Like all of us. Before we get into how you got the job of first writing on The L Word and then acting on the show. Uh, so you're at, so it's actually at the Sundance Film Festival where you first meet Kevin Smith because he's promoting Clerks. Yeah, I mean, we met him actually right before in, in post-production because we had the same uh, representative for our film, uh, this man, John Pearson, who gave us both money to finish our films. And so we had met. John Pearson uh, was like, you people should meet each other. You're like weirdly, you know, mirror images of each other. And we were like rando straight boys and they were like rando leses uh but we really hit it off and and uh we really um you know hung out a lot especially at sentence and we both had um significant success there and uh just like started a friendship and what is the real story behind chasing amy i always wonder what people like do people really think i had an affair with kevin smith that's so no weird. no because i it's funny we were just uh dame myself damien and Anne, his you know who yeah. you did that interview with we all just did this episode for my show where we basically you know talked about the indie you know movie scene like our favorite like gay movies essentially they were a bit taken aback that i'm like chasing amy's like still one of my favorite movies like i never had a problem with it and when i was sort of explaining it i did it in a very flippant way i was like yeah basically kevin smith met Gordon Turner. And and sort of was taken with her and created this fantasy world in which they could be together. Now, from now what I understand, it actually wasn't Kevin Smith. It was his it was Scott Mosier, his producing partner. Yeah. And and best friend, you know, um, it's funny. I just did a it, there's a documentary coming out called Chasing Chasing Amy. Um, I, it, before you came over, I realized that there is a, a somebody made a documentary about how chasing amy changed their life yeah were you are you part of that yeah 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 kevin is too it was just that scott and i sort of like the way i would describe it is we sort of had like a romantic friendship like we didn't date but we were like we hung out a lot and i don't know i'm some people can maybe identify with that like you just you know it's not like sexual but it feels romantic i don't know we just really liked each other and so uh, the way Scott actually told me that that he was talking about me to Kevin and Kevin was like, oh, God, you should write a movie. We should write a script about this. And Scott was like, I'm not writing about this. It's like stupid. And Kevin's like, well, do you mind if I take the idea? Did he have legitimate feelings for you? Mosher? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Would he have fooled around with me? Probably, but like, wouldn't most young people fool around with most? But the other movie young is people? not about like fooling around. It's about actual love. Yeah, yeah. No, Kevin took it and ran, and and okay. and then it had it became everything to do a lot more to do with his relationship with Joey, who plays the lead, because Kevin and Joey were were together, and I, and it was then we emerges more about reconciling with someone's past and how many people they've had sex with than it is really about sexuality. You know? Yeah. I just saw that Joey Lauren Adams was cast in the L Word Gen Q. She's going to be on this upcoming season. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Isn't that totally insane? I love when they do stuff like that, though. It's just like, you know, bringing in people who are sort of culturally relevant to us, you know? Yeah. I mean, I haven't watched that show, but um, but I just love in general when that happens. They did that a lot on the L Word, and I thought that, you know, bringing Kelly McGillis and, you know, bringing like all this sort of cool people that don't get as, as much airtime as they deserve, older women in particular. Um, Oh, what's funny about the about Chasing Amy, though, is that Kevin, we wrote the script and then he asked me to read it and give him thoughts. And, you know, and I had like notes here and notes there. But the one thing I said to him was lesbians are going to hate this. And I was wrong. A lot of lesbians love that movie. 
And I actually really, I'm fond of it. I feel like actually Loki, it's a story about the, the male friendship and it's a very daring story about the male friendship. And, and I, I thought that was really kind of sweet and uh, sort of uncharted territory, you know? There it's is, a bromance. It's, you, it's Loki, it's a bromance. It is. <laughs> you're, now, you're in that movie. You, you, you're in it for like, um, you have basically a cameo because you got them the location for Meow Mix. Yeah. Now, Meow Mix was actually the first bar that I ever went to I think I had like just turned 21 and I was never a big drinker and I was like well I know about this place through Guinevere Turner because I was like super into you and like everything you had done up until that point and I remember when I went I was like oh this doesn't this is like a rock club she had bands a lot she had bands now was this actually a gay bar Meow Mix? Yeah. Like, it was meant to be a lesbian bar, but not, you know, not like people can't, you know, non-lesbians can't come in, but it was meant to be a lesbian bar. Her her usual DJ was a gay man, and who's Rose Trochet's brother, actually, uh, all in the family. Wow. And, um, but yeah, so when you went there, what was, did it seem like there were a lot of men there? It just seemed very mixed. Very mixed, and there was like a rock band playing on stage. Yeah. So I was like, oh. She, Brooke also managed bands at the time, and so like she would, she would have fun with having live music, which, you know, that's hit or miss. When you and Rose were living in New York in the early 90s, like leading up to making of Go Fish, where were you guys living? Like what neighborhood? We, we, did, we made Go Fish in Chicago. That we lived in Chicago for that. And then I lived in the East Village when the East Village was, uh, you know, a whole different vibe and um is that where cookie the t- the taxi driver was that's taking where, you that's back where, to yeah they i literally the opening of taxi cabs confe- confession say 12th street and first avenue yeah you give your address but, I, I remember like, that i mean it's not exactly my address but all you have to you wouldn't have to wait too long to just hang out on the intersection and you'd see me because that's where i live and that is fairly close to where meow mix was it was yeah it was like a 15 minute walk but I wasn't, I, uh, when, when Cookie DeJesus picked me up, I was at Henrietta's, which is in the West Village. Yeah, on Hudson. Yeah. Right. So where, where were you going, aside from Meowmix in the East Village and Henrietta's, like what was your nightlife like, like when you guys were living in New York? We rolled deep. So <laughs> we kind of like would just, we had favorite bars in the East Village that we would go to that weren't queer, but then, you know, once we got a hold of them, they were. What, um, what were those places? <laughs> Oh, just martini bars that don't that aren't there. Like a martini bar on First Avenue, and then there was like the later years. There was a bar called the Cock, which was a gay oh, yeah. boy bar, and then like there was the Fat Cock, and then like, that's when things got sort of dirtier and grittier and performancey. We would always go see Justin Bond perform wherever she was performing, and that that was that's funny. I don't know. We were always out. I don't know where we were. We were always out. I was, I mean, one of the reasons I moved to LA was like, I need a city that goes to bed because I won't go to bed unless someone makes me and I'm not, you know, I, I, I have, I've got shit to accomplish. <laughs> I love that. We'll quickly gloss over American Psycho. I mean, you co-wrote the script with your collaborator, Mary Heron, who you went on to work with on a many more projects. Yeah, we have a, we're, we're, we're raising money for our fourth movie uh, right now. And what was the greatest thing to come out of American Psycho? Because this was like big budget and you're you're in that movie as well. And again, a, another like pivotal scene. Yeah. Um, what was the greatest thing to come out of that experience? What it was for me, timing wise, it was fantastic career wise, because all I had done at that point was go fish. I'd acted in a bunch of other indie films, but I hadn't made anything. And Go Fish, because of the nature of it, 
I felt like I think people thought it was sort of a documentary. I think they thought like, oh, well, that's cute. Those lesbians told their little lesbian story, but the, not that we were writers and filmmakers. And then I do this movie that to some people, men, non-queers, is just a big movie. And it just legitimized me uh, in the eyes of a whole other tier of people. And to this day, it's a movie that most people have heard of. Like, you can make movies your whole life, and then some people will love some of them, and some people will, you know, but this is a movie that even people who haven't seen it, or even people who don't really care about movies, they just heard of that movie. That is invaluable for me, because, I mean, the number of times I, I stopped, I took it off of my resume when I was auditioning a lot, because casting directors would look at me and go, you wrote American Psycho? I'm like, what kind of a crazy person would I have to be to put that on my resume if it wasn't true? Like, people, people wouldn't believe me. Men wouldn't believe me. Men, 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 people would just be like, oh, okay. I'm like, because wow. I was young. I was like, I was 30 um, when it came out. Let's just say for people who don't know, it is based on a book by Brett Easton Ellis, but you guys adapted it for screen. Yeah, and we, and it's, if you read the book and, and watch the movie there, it's, it's a radical, a radical adaptation. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot of ways that movie, that book could have gone. A lot of ways. Where did you film that, LA? Toronto. Oh, okay. Uh, with like, it takes place in New York, so. Oh, oh, wait. This was the thing I wanted to talk to you about chasing Amy. Joey Lauren Adams asked if you wanted to make out with her in the basement of the Meow Mix. <laughs> she totally did. What, what? Like some method acting thing here? And she's I, dating yeah. Kevin Smith at the time. Yes. So what was that about? Um, cause she, so she had, you know, she was at Meow Mix. You know, she just wanted to come and see where we were shooting and hang out with the lesbians and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I was, I, I think maybe she misinterpreted a cue from me because I actually said, do you want to go downstairs and see the basement? Because it was in, like, it, she, Brooke was making it into a den, but it wasn't mm. finished yet. I don't know. I, I really genuinely was, I was just excited. I was like, imagine when it's all this. And I think maybe she interpreted that as me being like, let's go down to the basement. So she was just like, do you want to make out? And I was just, I was like, what? No. I was so and she at the time I wore tons of rings and she like wore all these rings like as an homage to me and you know I was just her like she was kind of you know basing her character off of me a you bit. were the muse yeah um and so I was just like no I I'm like you're I don't there's so many reasons no and then the next day I was Kevin called me and was like you know Joey told me what happened and I was like if she says I come on to her and he's like no 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 she told me that it was her I just want you to know that I know what happened I was like all right you're in control brah bye <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So the next big moment in your career, I mean, obviously you worked on these little, little small independent films, but now they're on the precipice of creating the first ever television show that's centered around lesbians. And Rose Trochet, I mean, got, I mean, she has like an incredible career. She is directing the pilot. And how did she know Eileen Chaikin? You know, I she didn't. I think that uh, they were just uh, Showtime and Eileen were shopping around for a, a director for the pilot, and Eileen wanted someone queer. And you know, uh, Rose's agent just put Rose's hat in the ring, and Rose charmed her. Is is they definitely didn't know each other. Um, and you know, Rose is just. I think Eileen really wanted someone who's like out and queer, and you know, gonna, you know, and had some experience directing, and so yeah. And and also, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work to, because the way it sometimes works is that you direct a pilot and then you wait to see if it's going to become a show. And so not a lot of directors, especially indie film directors, want to do that 
I mean, it's a paycheck, but it, it might be a dead end thing that doesn't go anywhere and takes away from the work that does. But then also it was the beginning of people looking toward the independent film world to, to, for, to direct TV. And Eileen, you know, was, was, that was actually visionary on her part because not a lot of people were doing that. And I think Eileen just wanted it to be cool. And she thought that was a cool move. Um, and so, no, the Rose, Rose, they just, I think they just hit it off. Rose, Rose can be very charming. And initially, you went in not even to be a writer. You auditioned for both Bet and Tina? Yeah, I auditioned for Tina. And then I, you know, had read the script and I, and I asked my agent to send me back in for Bet. Obviously, I did not get the part. And Jennifer does a beautiful job of being Bet. But I'm like, I'm more of a Bet, really, than a Tina. Um, and didn't get that. So then Rose was like, well, you know, they're, they're, now they're staffing the writer's room. You should meet with Eileen about that. And I was like, it's so humiliating to have auditioned for someone, because Eileen was in the room when I was auditioning, to have auditioned for someone twice and then have to meet with them as a writer. Like, I can't handle that. And Rose was like, oh, my God, get over it. Like, she was just like, don't you want to be a part of this thing? Like, it's, you know, it's so, like, aren't you afraid it's going to be bad? Like, come with me. I need your help. Like, we got to make sure that this is integrity and is fun and funny and, like, they don't fuck it up. It's like this, it feels like if this doesn't go well, it's going to bode poorly for lesbians on TV. I was like, okay, okay, okay. And so I met with Eileen and she hired me. Which is so great. Like being in a writer, TV writer's room is so fun. I loved it, especially because I was there with Rose and, you know, we're just, you know, what, what's really fun is when you have someone to later talk shit with about everything that just happened in the writer's room. <laughs> what, what was the makeup of the writer's room in terms of, I mean, because I know like it wasn't all written by lesbians. Like there were some men in there. Like that first season, I guess, how did the writer's room change from like season one to season two? Uh, season one... We had 10 people, uh, maybe th- four of us were lesbians. One was a straight woman uh, who had written on ER. She was so funny, Elizabeth. She was like, we were complaining about something, you know, bitching about, you know, I don't know, Eileen was being mean to us or who knows what, just drama. The drama that happens when people work together. And Elizabeth was like, when I worked on ER, the showrunner would just scream in my face every day. We were like, oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds like, but really on ER? Um, um, as, and then there was a man who had retired from Showtime and he was, you know, like a heterosexual cis white man who was just like, we, we would all be talking because, you know, especially us lesbians, we'd all be like, oh, what about this? And what about that? And Angela Robinson. I don't know if you know who she is, but she, oh, was, yeah. she was on, the, on that yeah. show. She actually created the character that I play. Uh, and then he would just be like, what? 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 But it was kind of good to have people because we would just be talking, you know, and then somebody would be like, whoa, 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 can you all slow down? And what the f- are you talking about? Like, and we're like, oh, cultural phenomenon. Oh, yes, we do have to kind of also speak to a non lesbian audience while we're making this. So, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun. And it's it was really fun the first season because we didn't know if it was going to be successful. There's, so there's like an edge to it, you know, there's like an excitement and a like, you know, we're all in this together, like, let's really, you know, and it's sort of different in the second season because like, it was really, it was more successful than I think even Eileen could have imagined and it was on the cover of New York Magazine before it ever even aired and, uh, and then, then it's like a different vibe, but it was also really fun in second season to be a writer because now I knew all the actors so now you're just like playing with little army men. Do you know what I mean? You're like, I we know I know what this actor can do well. I know what this actor is really good at. I know what this actor wants. Would I mean, they would they try to influence their character? Like, would they ever go to you and try to like all hey, the time? 
all the time. Like Kate was like, <laughs> Kate was like, can you guys please? Kate Manning was like, can you please? Can Shane just like find a girlfriend and not just always have like a different trick every episode? And we were like, Kate, you're just sick of making out with random Canadians. You're never going to meet again. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but but the other thing was that we weren't. We were expressly, you know, it was part of our job not to tell them what was going to happen to them in the season because it could change. And, you know, it was just, you, you just, like, they get the episode when they're, when they're going to get the episode. What were some of the other actor requests? Well, all of them have the, like, nudity writers that don't necessarily uh, match up with each other. Uh, I, can't, I can't talk about that because, I, I sh- you know, that's, it's personal for them. But Rose it can tell hilarious stories about directing actors together who have... Uh, nudity writers that are really hard to shoot and honor both of them, which is just hilarious. I can tell you off 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 recording, uh, just invading people's privacy to tell you who it is and wh- what their what their details are. Oh, I'm dying, but it's know. hilarious. <laughs> um, wait, you asked the question. Oh, other actors, just like storylines or different different plot points or different things that they would want to have. Like I imagine Leisha Haley, like she's a very creative person. I would imagine she would come up with some pretty good ideas no Alicia was she wasn't as much of a bandit about that Kate was the one who was the uh, and, and Mia uh, what's Mia's last name Kirshner Kirshner Mia Kirshner just always wanted to know what was going to happen like she would always be like can you come hang out with me in my trailer and I'd be like or the, 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 yeah I'd be like um, yeah and then she'd be like so and she would just guess like so she's going to blah 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 and I'm like I seriously like I will get fired if I tell you um, I mean I would you know we would all be out to dinner and like then they would sort of like, you know, start talking about, you know, so, you know, a couple of glasses of wine. And I'd be like, do you guys even like me? <laughs> do you just want intel and want to influence me? So you were up there in Vancouver, like while they were filming? Um, sometimes I was, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Like, what, like, what were you do? Like, if they had to do like rewrites last minute or something? I, one time, season nine, uh, episode nine, <laughs> season one. Season nine. <laughs> season 15. <laughs> Um, I I had to rewrite the entire episode from page one in about 24 hours. Season one? Uh, yeah, episode what's nine. The, what's the episode? I'm not credited on it because uh, that's how the Writers Guild works. Um, in the episode, Dana comes out to her parents. Right, at the country club or yeah. something? Yeah. Uh, that's what I remember the most about it because that, I mean, Aaron, um, Aaron Daniels did such a brilliant job and that she just really sold it. Uh, I, I, I'm actually really proud of that episode uh, and wish that I, that it was on paper that I wrote it. But I also was, I loved it. I love the ticking clock and the like the pressure of, of, you know, you know, having to like crank something out. You know, it's just so different in film when, in the writing stage. And so I was doing that and then I, I was acting. I was also story editor, so I was sort of around a lot to for last minute changes slash figuring stuff out. I mean, what happens in TV probably in other shows? It's the only one I've worked on. Is that like there will be a character and then there'll be an actor playing that character and then like it just won't work. Like either they're not good on the day or they don't have the chemistry, and so like all of a sudden you need to like write that character out and realize, oh, these two really have... Rebecca de Mornay wants to do five more episodes. Let's get that going. You know what I mean? So there was a lot of that, too. So so being on the ground to do that. Although I wasn't always there. I wanted to always be there, but I wasn't always How there. do they deal with actors who may not necessarily have romantic chem... It's like, I guess I don't really even understand. It's like you're acting. Like, it's a job. And yet it does kind of hinge on two people in real life having some sort of spark. It's not necessarily going to translate on screen unless... It's like acting only goes so far. 
Um, it's a case by case basis because if some people are really good at faking it, and sometimes it just it, you know we all know we've all seen it in movies. In particular, I see it a lot when non queer people are playing queer people. Like sometimes it's, you totally believe it, and sometimes you're like those people are not comfortable with this material. Um, or they just don't understand that it's like looking at someone with love or lust, kissing someone, like all of those things. That's universal. I, you know lo- what I, mean? I love the story of how in your first episode filming, in your first acting episode playing Gabby DeVoe, you make out with Leisha Haley and Rose Troche was like, I've been directing these non-lesbians. Like, I need you guys to just, like, do it. <laughs> yeah. Leisha was a little... We were both a little stressed out about it because it's it's kind of... It's it's much easier to do something like that with someone you don't know. You know what I mean? It, I had the same experience with Go Fish. Like, the, my romantic interest there was my really good friend. And it's just like, ew, I don't want to make out with you, you know? Um, and so we were both kind of stressed about it. And and so Rose was like, I know you you guys can do this. Just, like, go for it. One take. Bam. And we totally did. It was just one take. It was the one take. She's like, just get in there and get it done. I'm so tired of directing straight girls to make out. She's like, you guys are really queers. You know how to it's done. It was great. And the two, I think probably the two biggest, your two biggest marks on the show, number one, the title. I know that they were brainstorming titles and you were the one who first said the L word and they, they ran with it. Not only that, but the chart, which would then go on throughout. And I know that's based on like you guys really did that for fun in the writer's room. Was there anything else that you it was really your idea or anything that you were really fighting for and like they never went with it um i'm i'm very enamored with piper jessica's little dog <laughs> um so at the end of season one there's a character uh ivan kelly lynch played her yeah them him well in the in the uh, in the episode she says he kelly lynch she, is amazing in that role. yeah i was i i don't know if i that character was my idea, but I felt very strongly about about sort of playing with gender a little bit. And I used to, I was always oh, I, on season two. I would I would say Eileen, 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 we need we need trans people. She, and she, season three, GT, season three. I'm like, we need trans people, and like, we need oxy. <laughs> you like, wanted more drugs. I want, we need oxy. Like that's a thing. Like that's an epidemic that's happening. You know, like people, whatever drugs people are doing. Like we should be specific. It's oxy. Like that's what that's what people are doing. That's fucking them up. I mean, we need trans people. And I'm like, where are the strap-ons? I'm like, I'm like, it's showtime. Their tag, tagline is no limits. And she would always be like, yes, we're gonna have trans people and oxycontin and strap-ons. <laughs> it was. She's like, I think she was always like, we, you know, we. We have we still have to tread lightly, you know. There's in the opening episode of season two, um, Kelly Lynch's character Ivan Kit walks in on her and she's getting dressed as so she's she binds her breasts but she's just out of the shower so you see her topless, and I was like, please don't do that, please 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 don't do that. I I feel like this character, I mean I guess now we would call that character non-binary. It's like there are people. Piper's looking at me like I'm a genius, by the way. Like, I'm so, it's so engaging. You are a genius. That's not all this you've accomplished. <laughs> um, and so I, I was saying, you know, we, like, there are so many people who saw this character, Ivan, and have never seen anything like themselves on TV. And those people, I know, are by and large people whose worst fucking nightmare is for someone to see them topless because they want to have top surgery or they just are more comfortable not being completely naked. And I'm like, I feel like you're just reassuring the audience. Like, don't worry, it's Kelly Lynch. She has nice tits and it feels like pandering and it feels like sort of betraying your audience. 
I did not win that that fight, and that might be why it didn't get asked back for a season three. Because I I got I got uh, like I I kind of like got snark not snarky. I got like I got pissed. I like stormed out of the room. I like never storm out of the room. Mm. Like I I learned that lesson too late. Like take it in stride. It's not your show. The truth of the matter is eventually like for season three, Elizabeth Ziff first came on as a as the music supervisor, like a lot of money. Like I, it feels like the budget really increased with season two. And then as the years went on, like it just, even the way it was filmed, it used to have the sort of like blue haze to it. And then it's almost like it went into technicolor as the years went on. I imagine that's just budget, but they eventually bring in this new music supervisor who it's like you exit the show she gets brought on and then suddenly in season four and the subsequent seasons, she's now writing on the show. And then I think became like the writing supervisor or something to that effect. How did that land on you? Um, I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> it's, you know, it's sort of the way you would feel if you've been doing something your whole life and you're good at it. And then somebody who doesn't do it just comes in and is like, oh yeah, I can do that. That doesn't look hard. And you're like, Okay. I tried really hard to maintain a positive attitude about the L word and just be happy that it was on TV and remember my 25-year-old self who would have had her jaw on the floor that this was a show and it was popular and not only lesbians were watching and it was on Showtime and it was in a sixth season and, you know, and, and I, you know, I learned so much from it. I, so I tried not to be like, what the fuck is going on over there? What are they doing? There was, it, it, it seemed like it got a little messy, that having been said, I will say she's written some excellent episodes. I'm not saying she's a bad writer. It's just crazy for the music. Well, I mean, she was Eileen's girlfriend, so. Well, yeah, I yeah. wasn't going to say that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's. So she got a lot of opportunities, which, you know, that's one way to do things. You'd get your foot in the door. I don't know. I don't really know Elizabeth that well. I mean, I met her a few times, but I don't know her. I don't really know what happened. I, I just really chose to not know too much so that I wouldn't be bitter because I like to move forward without bitterness. And yet they keep referencing your character on the show. And you even came back in the sixth season. Yeah, I've heard that. Like, What was that phone call? Every like? time I've heard that every time <laughs> they mention Gabby DeVoe, she's like, you know, on a leash on all four in the middle of a dance floor or something like I she'd like Eileen like sort of deliberately just like like humiliated my character off screen. I don't know what that was about. What's funny about the when I got the call to be in season six, I was like, oh, they're doing that like drag every old carcass out of the closet that that has ever been on the show thing. But I was, you know, I was like, that's fine. But I but mostly I was like, what? I'm shooting in two weeks. I'm not L word skinny. Do you know what I mean? Like, Elward Skinny is real. And who are anyone who's seen the show? Like, I would be as skinny as I could be without killing someone when I was acting on that show. And still look, like, feeling and looking really skinny IRL. But everyone on that show was so thin that I just looked, like, normal. Um, so I was just, like, panicked. My, my number one thing was, like, I'm too fat. <laughs> I'm too fat to be on the show. Why is she fucking with me? Why did she tell me, like, weeks ago so that I had time to, you know, do the, the emergency losing of five pounds? But then I read the script and I'm wrapped in a sheet for the whole thing. My face hadn't gained any weight. So I was like, phew, then this will be fun. Two final things about the L word that I want to talk about. You wrote perhaps maybe like the fan favorite episode, which is the purest episode of the show on their friendships, which is the Dinah Shore episode, the, the coming out episode. Yeah, I love that episode. That's the only one on the show that I wrote and Rose directed. And you can tell. You can tell, like, there is a stark difference. And you can even tell, if you even flash forward to Gen Q, in season two, in last season, Rose went back and directed an episode, and it was heads and tails 
above any of the other you oh, could really? tell, you could tell like finally like there's an adult in the room there's a grown-up <laughs> in charge here um i'll tell her that i'm gonna see her on sunday i'm glad i haven't heard good things about that the um whatchamacallit generation q is that what it's called going the dinosaur episode was it your idea to have them all go to dinosaur it sure was and actually, Mariah, uh, what is her last name? Anyway, Mariah, who, who does Hands dinosaur, it, yeah. she she actually, you know, I met her like the, the following year and she was like, thank you. Um, you know, once that episode aired, like uh, attendance didn't just double it like 10 times of the, the amount of people like it just became a huge thing. It was funny because I, I pitched that to the room and Eileen, I don't think even knew what it was, the dinosaur wow. weekend. I really wanted, I was like, it's time. Like, we know these characters long enough so that we want to know. We want to go back and see when they came out. And, you know, it just all sort of made sense that, you know, the road trip, the sing-along, the Indigo Girls. Like, I was just like, yes, yes, this is fun. Had they ever been to Dinosaur before? Oh, no. So, funny story. Like, did you actually filmed it at a real Dinosaur? Yeah. Uh, to show them... Uh, what it is, I we went, me and, and my friend Nisha Ganatra and Kate and Leisha and Aaron, I believe. We all went to Dinosaur the year before. And what's hilarious to me, so we just were having fun and hanging out and showing them the, the whole vibe. But what's I always think about this. There was this really drunk woman who came up to us and she was like, what are all these pretty ladies doing? Just like really like, oh. and we were like, whoa. And then she's like, you know what? Let me get a picture. Can I take a picture with you, beautiful woman? And so she took a bunch of pictures of all of us. And I just, I think to myself now that that woman, I hope she like brought those to Rite Aid. It was like a disposable camera and was like, what the fuck? It's the whole cast of the award. A year before the show had been on the air. I mean, that's gold. I am convinced that everyone's hair drives them nuts. Mine is curly and gets too dry in the winter, too oily in the summer, and I'm constantly having to buy new shampoo and conditioner to just battle the elements. The issue is that there's no one-size-fits-all shampoo or conditioner because we're all coming to the table with a unique body and hair chemistry. Well, I recently found a customized shampoo and conditioner solution called Pros, and it's kind of been saving my life. All you do is go on their website, pros.com, you fill out a quiz about your hair. For example, your hair type, how it feels, where it falls on the oily to dry spectrum, plus questions about your eating and exercise habits. And with Pros' algorithm, Pros finds a unique blend of ingredients to treat your exact concerns. I've been using the custom shampoo and conditioner, plus been experimenting with their hair oil and leave-in conditioner, and it's honestly made my hair more shiny and more full than it's been in months. All of their custom hair products are freshly made to order. And FYI, if you're not happy with the results, Pros will take back the products, no questions asked. So here's the deal. Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Just go to pros.com slash hot takes. It's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash hot takes for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. I just thought of something totally random that I want to ask you. Your days in L.A., you were running around in like all these fabulous circles. Who were your friends at the time where you knew that they were gay, but they were not yet out and have since come out? So I think I think a lot of us lesbians have had times where 
non-lesbians have tried to set us up on dates with like they're like I know a lesbian um, right 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 <laughs> and so a friend of mine a guy was like I know a woman who's you know she's really she's really interested in meeting you like she, she likes her work or whatever would you meet her and I was like you know this is 1999 I think or 2000 uh, so the, there's no Tinder. There's no, you think, but even Googling people wasn't the same as it is now. Anyway, so I was, and he's like, oh, she's on this show, Ally McBeal. And I was, so I, I did Google Ally McBeal. I thought I was going on a Dane with Jane Krakowski. Because he was like, she's the, <laughs> she's the blonde on Ally McBeal. And I had seen Jane Krakowski in something. And I was like, I don't like, I don't feel attracted to her, but she's funny. Like, I'll go on a date with her. I don't care. So I 100% thought I was going on a date with Jane Krakowski. But I was going on a date with Portia de Rossi. And, uh, and, and Portia and I dated for a while. But when I dated her, it was before she was, became vice lesbian of the universe. Um, vice. <laughs> um, the first vice lesbian. I mean, I literally have her book right over there. At that time, she was going through really intense she was having personal a, struggles. Yeah, I mean, she was, it was, she was on Ally McBeal and... She was struggling with eating disorder stuff. I'm sure that she wrote about that. Or I oh, it's say the that. entire it's the entire book. And she was and uh, she was you know on that show with Calista Flockhart, who was also having eating disorder issues, and they were like hounded by press and you know uh, to like just talk about her, like is she eating a donut? Like I mean, going out to dinner with her, like people would just you know she she told me that like you know people would be like they'd order in a restaurant and someone would be like oh you want fries with that like people were just really shitty to that and to me like even eating disorder is like that person is sick you're like literally making some fun of someone who's on fire you know what I mean I just that so yeah so she was going on she was um, struggling with that and she was not at all out um, so it was just hard it was hard for me to be with someone who wasn't out but I wasn't judging her for it what did you guys have in common you know, she's really funny and, and fun and we talked about books and movies and I don't know why she's just she's actually she's just really smart and fun to hang out with but I think she felt like she felt that like you know she had a contract with L'Oreal and you know they have clauses in those contracts that are like you know public you know behavior that doesn't fit with the brand which is you know possibly depending on who what the company is means you know no don't be out and gay so she was stressed, and I, I feel like she thought I judged her because, you know, my whole thing was just being out and les, and I was like, I just didn't know any better. I didn't, no one ever told, when it first started out, no one ever told me, like, once you come out, you don't go back in. Like, you will always be seen as that. I, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have been closeted, I don't think, but did I know? If someone had said to me, you know, this, this is going to be a thing. Like, people are going to treat you like a lesbian, and that's not necessarily a good thing in the entertainment industry. Would I have... Would I have made a deal with the devil? Eh, who knows? And how did you meet Katie Lang? Um, I met Katie because Rose's manager at the time, Danny Knight, is a really good friend of Katie's. And Katie had seen me in Go Fish and asked if she could meet me. Oh. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And then she broke up with you to date Leisha Haley? No. She broke up with me because she saw me on Taxi Cab Confessions. <laughs> And I quote on the phone because she was on tour and I think she was in Norway. You're just a little slut, aren't you? And I was like, ha, I thought she was kidding. No, she was not. She broke up with me. Uh, she broke up with me uh, and then she started dating Leisha. Got it. Then, so when I think about that scene of us kissing on, in the L word, I'm like somewhere Katie Lang is like, whoa. 
<laughs> those two. I'm like, are there only five lesbians in the world? What is all this? I mean, it feels like that. It's funny because I actually I wrote to Portia when we were working on season one of The L Word and, and said, like, you know, they're interested in having you. Because at that point she was, she wasn't with Ellen yet, but she was out, I think. Um, and she was like, I don't know. No, I don't know if I'm ready for all that. I wonder if she regrets that. That is interesting. Yeah, she was just, she's like, maybe, you know, when, once it has a couple seasons. But I, I just was like. She was doing Arrested Development at that time. Maybe, or, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't feel like Arrested Development was out yet. But anyway, she's amazing on that show. I love that show. Um, anyway, so I, I always wonder if she regretted not being on The L Word. Because, you know, eventually it was just, you know, every, like, it was like all kinds of stars on the show. I could listen to these stories all day. <laughs> I know I often feel like grandma's having one of her talking spells because I just really do have so many good stories. I mean, are there any topics that I'm not going to make you go into, but like, is there like a headline that like nobody knows about? Oh, God. If there is, I obviously am. I, it's because I don't want people to know. Or, you know, like I could tell all sorts of stories about when I dated, dated Tracy Chapman, but Tracy Chapman, of all people, is like so, so, so intense about her privacy that I've just, you know, we were never on social media. Like, so I just like, that's all I can say. Yeah, we were girlfriends for two years. Were there any songs that were written about you? <laughs> no. You sure? No, I mean, no. I mean, no, because when I met her, she had just she had just finished recording her last album. Um, but what's hilarious is that when I was dating KD, she had, was just finishing uh, her album that's called All You Can Eat. And she had written a song called Guinevere n- before she met me. Not, and not, not to me, not about me. And she changed the name of, of the song because she just started dating me and she didn't want people to think that it was for me. I was like, well, okay. That's like not, like, there's a lot of better stories about how a song's not about me. I was like, I really want to make sure that nobody thinks this song is about you. Here's a million dollar question. Yes. You get a phone call from your manager, agent, Eileen Chaikin, or whoever is running Gen Q over there. They want you to either come back as Gabby DeVoe or to consult on the new show or direct an episode, write an episode. Would you be open to it? Yeah, totally. I mean, I say that and I haven't seen the show. But, you know, if Rose has worked on it, then I assume it's not like a complete disaster. Uh, And I'm dying. First of all, it's just fun to bring back an old character and be like, oh, no. Um, Second of all, I would love like I just really love the TV experience, the the collaboration, how quickly it moves. It's just exciting in a way that films just take so long. Um, and directing television is what I is is what I'm one of the things I'm working toward being able to do. So any opportunity to do that, I would not pass up. So yeah, hell yeah, I would like your fingerprints on Gen Q. Um, well, let me let's get them. Let's let's put that out there. Gen Q, you need GT. <laughs> Since you were, you know, really fighting to have trans characters on the show, and like you wrote the stuff for Kelly Lynch, how did you feel about? The, tra- the trans character that they had on the show was often just like siloed off. And the same thing persists with Gen Q. They still have never figured out how to organically integrate a trans person. Just because somebody's trans doesn't mean that they're out of their group of friends and out of the community that they were part of. How did you react to the way they even handled the trans? Character? I didn't watch it. 
I didn't watch it, and but I heard so many complaints about it, and that's another reason I didn't watch it because because I, you know why? I mean, mostly I didn't watch it, so I would never have to answer this question. <laughs> that's another. I forgot to say that's a, a main reason I stopped watching the L Word too is because I knew that people would ask me what I thought of where it was going, and I'm like, I just don't want to. I don't want to talk shit. But, you know, but probably I'll have issues. And so I'm just like, I'm just not going to watch it. No, I don't know. So all I can say is what other people said. And people were like, that's just weird and not working. And it's, it feels awkward and forced, is, was what people said about the Max character. I know one of the other titles thrown out, it may have been your idea, was to just call it simply Dyke Drama. <laughs> I don't know if that was my idea, but that's a funny title. But I feel like the word Dyke would have, Showtime would have been like, mm. and also a new generation of people I have learned because my girlfriend is a lot younger than I am are really not comfortable with that word. Can we talk about how people aren't comfortable with the word lesbian? You know how like everybody's just like queer. They use the word queer now. Yeah, there's an erasure. I had interviewed Leah Delaria about. Uh, I don't know. I interviewed Leah Delaria, and she talked about this. How like it stems back to just like hatred of women. It's misogynist. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it definitely feels generational. Like if you if you use the word lesbian, it feels like you are immediately identified as over forty or something like that, or provincial. I mean, there's good things about it, which is to say that I like that people are identifying as in ways that, you know, don't make your friends all turn on you if you have a one night stand with a man, you know, it's sort of like I am pansexual or identify as queer, but like who knows who I'm going to go home with. I'm not mad at it, but I, I, I'm only mad. Like I, I had a young gay man. He's a good friend. He's like, I'm not really comfortable with how much you use the, the word dyke. And I'm like, that is what we called ourselves with pride and it's just, I'm always, I, I use it the way, like, I'll be like, oh, did you see that dyke over there? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it doesn't have any baggage about presentation, you know, or, you know, how you represent yourself in the world. It doesn't have, it doesn't mean you're Bush, it doesn't mean you're femme, it doesn't mean you're anything. It just means that you are a queer woman and I see you. <laughs> and it does not, I, you know, obviously reclaiming a, you know, a, a slur, but, but it, it's so, it's, it's so ingrained in me. You know, a good friend of mine has a podcast called Diking Out. Diking Out? And I feel like she really reclaimed it with that. Like, <laughs> like she'll be like, you know, getting her hair cut. And she'll be like, oh, like, what's your podcast? You diking know, what's your... Out. And then she, she had constantly has to say Diking Out. And the response <laughs> is always, oh, I'm going to check that out. And she's always like, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, that's a commitment. That's like, a commitment. Yeah, I'm committed to this word and lifestyle. Was there anything that Showtime like would push back on? They're like, we're not. It's too far. Uh, I really wanted to do an episode. I, oh my, well, I talked Eileen into it. I talked everyone into it, but Showtime wouldn't have it. Where it's just a fantasy episode in season one where they all wake up with penises for a day. <laughs> and then what happens? Um, it's just like how they deal. They know that it's going to go away at sundown, and so they they just it's just what they do. And Eileen liked it, and everyone liked it, and then Showtime was like. I don't know about that and it was sort of a it was a pivotal moment because it was season one so it's like are we the kind of show that does that kind i feel of- like they could do that in like season five or six yeah and they was yeah. like we're this is the first season like it might be a little too risky a little too weird so i actually made a short that that is that that's the premise um after i walked away with my l word paycheck uh, and the season was over because i because it's hilarious and, and people even when i made the short which is called hung by the way before there was a show called hung we're like aren't lesbians going to be offended by that i'm like watch Hey, Jess, wouldn't it be fun to have a dick for a day? Every single woman is like, fuck yeah. 
Like if I don't, I mean, if it's gone, do you know what I mean? Like who wouldn't, you know, doesn't everybody want to try on everything, you know? So it's just funny to me that people thought lesbians would be offended. Maybe some more. I don't know. I love how you've talked about how you do feel a bit alleviated from the responsibility of having to watch every gay thing that's made. Whereas back in the day, like, there were, first of all, there were only like two things to watch and you would just like, you know, sort of like scoop them up. Yeah, but it was, that, that happened to me with the show The Fosters. That was that was my moment. I was I started watching. I was like, oh, my God, so it centers around a lesbian couple. And then I was like, oh, this is cute. I like it. But it's not really for me. It's like a family drama. And I don't have to watch it. I don't have to be the watchdog and have an opinion about every single lesbian that's being represented on TV, um, which I really felt it wasn't just that I wanted to know. It's just that people would ask me what I thought about this one or that one. It, you know, it sort of became part of the culture to have an opinion about the five people, the five lesbians that were out there in the in the TV universe, you know. And I was like, no, I don't have an opinion about the Fosters. That's cute. Was there anything gay that's been on since the L word that you actually watched and really liked? Like, did you watch Orange is the New Black? Yeah, I loved Orange is the New Black. I mean, you know, it got goofy sometimes and did, did you know, I didn't love every single thing about it. But I was like, this is cool. This is like, this is kind of like, it's like sneakily a lesbian show. Kind of like a league of their own is right now. <laughs> well, that's not sneakily. I mean, a league of their own, I think is i mean that's like the my favorite thing i've watched in recent memory it feels that it's like they were like how can we make the l word again but like different i'm like i don't make it about baseball make it in the 40s done (laughs) because like everyone's a lesbian on that show i feel like like in the very last beat oh spoiler alert they've watched it by now (laughs) (laughs) and the very last beat she's like we take care of her and i'm like of course the major is a les (laughs) tell me about your book my book. You hinted earlier that you got a nice advance for it. I did. Unfortunately, that was two and a half years ago. Um, mm. I mean, <laughs> it was great. Uh, no, it was. Uh, so I wrote a film called Charlie Says, which is about uh, the women who killed for Charles Manson. And it centers around their time in prison, which is not something people ever talk about. And it's an amazing story. And when we were doing pre- oh, about to do press for that movie, I was talking to Mary, the director, and my friend. And I was like, I'm so like... People, journalists always do a little bit of research on me and the ones who are particularly industrious find out that I grew up in, let's just call it a very alternative environment, commune, culty thing. And they ask me about it. And I, over the years, developed these like really sharp skills for just pivoting. Like, I'm like, this is not what this movie's about. I don't like it. That is a whole other story. But now we're writing about Manson and we're writing about this this era and, and this kind of living. And I can't say it's not relevant you know, as part of what I brought to that project was my own experience growing up that way. Uh, and so I was like, I just said to Mary, I'm so not looking forward to endless com- conversations about my childhood and just getting derailed from the subject. And she was like, well, why don't you write something and try to publish it before we before the movie comes out? And I was like, you're a genius. I wish you said that to me like three months ago. And so I wrote something and it was in The New Yorker. So it was this essay in The New Yorker in print. It was called The Others. Uh, online, the title was a little more on the nose. They they called it My Childhood in a Cult. Mm. Uh, and because of that, uh, I got a lot of attention and people saying, you know, I want to be your lit agent. I, you should write a book. And so after meeting most people and learning how to write a book proposal and learning how the publishing industry works, I'd like, I'm still learning, um, I got a book deal and I just finished the book last week. Uh, it's only eight months late. And <laughs> and it comes out. Um, I just got the publication date, which is uh, May twenty third of twenty twenty three, which also happens to be your birthday. My birthday. 
when, what is the title? Ooh, good question. I don't know. And you know, I'm, uh, pride myself on titles. Go fish. Also my idea. American psycho cannot take credit for that. Uh, why is it called go fish? We called it initially, we called it Eli and Max and John Pearson, who gave us that finishing money was like two name titles, especially because they're both gender neutral, could be men. He's like, it just doesn't, it doesn't give us anything. It doesn't have like layers to it. And so we brainstormed. Um, they play Go Fish. They play, actually, there's a the snake, game. The, the game. But then it was sort of like Go Fish in, the, in terms of like the pool of dating and like, you know, fishing for someone to date. And it's just like more catchy. Like it's more, it has more, it's more fun to say. And it's more, it makes people ask a question. Why is it called that? If, you, if we called it Eli and Max, it'd be like, well, that's the end of that conversation. That's the name of the two main characters, <laughs> you know? So, the, so for the book, I, I have a title now that I don't love, but my publishers love over at a random house. Um, what's, the, what's the working title? When the World Didn't End. Ooh. Um, and they were like, oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. I mean, the, in the opening paragraph of the, of the book um, is me thinking the world's going to end and then it doesn't. How old were you when you got out of the cult? Uh, almost 12. But I kept very extensive diaries. So a lot of the books are my diaries from from the time I was 10 and then through my transition into like the real normal world and being a total, totally confused and like not understanding how things work and being a freak. But, but the, the, see, when the world went, doesn't, didn't end, it's a good title. Like you're sort of, it asks a question. I think that's something about like, you know, the L word. It's like, a, what is the L word? You know, well, you tell me. So I wanted something a little bitier. Um, but you know, I'm learning a lot about publishing and one of the things that was really been impressed upon me by my editor is the title and the book jacket. They are not part of the art. They are part of the marketing. You want people to read your book. These are tools to get that, make that happen. And so I'm, so I'm sort of learning that. I'm like, cause I've come up with all sorts of titles and she's just like, no. Guinevere Turner, you really said it all. Everyone, run to your L Word box set DVDs. You can find Guinevere's Taxi Cab Confessions on YouTube. She may not want you to. Also, follow me uh, at JessXNYC. Subscribe to the YouTube channel for interviews with past guests. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was a blast. Thank, Thank you. you. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.